Well, welcome to Gospel Life Bible Church, and welcome, and we're just really glad that you're all here, and there's so much to talk about. We're continuing in our series, The Gospel Is. We started our first week of The Gospel is of First Importance, and why is it of first importance? Because Jesus came to save sinners, and there's a brokenness in this world, and when we turn on TV and we see it in every person, every institution, every system, that there is indeed that brokenness. And so something that is broken can't fix itself. So Jesus had to come to fix this. And as much as like Billy Graham had said, we've never been able to find a cure for human evil. We've never been able to find a cure for human suffering. And we've never been able to find a cure for death. So we need to look to Jesus for this because He's the only one that can do this. And then the second week, the Gospel is by grace alone through faith. And we talked about the how. How are we saved? And the power of regeneration by the Holy Spirit that allows us to receive the gift and to acknowledge that uh, this treasure that the Gospel is in, in Jesus, that we receive it and that we stand in it and that through faith, through believing in Christ's accomplished works, that we're saved. And so now we get to the third week. And this is kind of a, what now? What now do we do? And so this is where we turn and we're going to talk about hope. We're going to talk about peace. We're going to continue talking about God's amazing grace, and His mercy, His kindness, His forgiveness. And there's still so much more. Like, this is why we're His church. Because we love Jesus. Because Jesus is the central point to everything. So, the Gospel is our hope and peace. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank You for this morning. I thank You for the opportunity to come together as Your people to worship You, to love You, to uh, be a part of what You're doing in this city and the kingdom, and just rest in our graces. So Lord, illuminate our hearts and our minds. Tune them to Your will that we may understand Your Word, that we may see who You are rightly, and that we may see who we are rightly through who You are, Lord. So I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the sermon text today is Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. If you would all please turn to that. I should have told you that already. And then if there are still children here and there's some things that you want to do, uh, we've got some utensils in the back and some notes and scratch paper that if you uh, want to follow along, please feel free to do so. But let's start. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, 
We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Amen. Praise the Lord. Um, just to give you a little bit of background on Romans, because we started in 1 Corinthians, we went to Ephesians last week, now we're in Romans, it's the third epistle of Paul. Um, these are topical sermons, yet they're done exegetically, so I'm not going to bounce around to uh, book to book to book or anything like that, we're going to analyze verse by verse. But it's also a little hard because when we're diving in in chapter 5, well, there's four chapters that happened before. And so there needs to be a little bit of background here. And especially when we look at the first word of uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 1, therefore. Whenever you see a therefore, it's because of something that just previously happened. So it's always something that we need to look back on. And so Paul wrote this letter to Rome after 30-some years of ministry. And Romans can be attributed to being the gospel in itself. All 16 chapters, um, you know, he, he carves it out into four different sections, talks about the brokenness of man, talks about the justification, which is where we're at in Romans 5 here, talks about what happens uh, after the justification, after the Holy Spirit, and, and so on and so forth, and then moving forward, and future hope and glory in Christ. And what he had just finished talking about in Romans chapter 4 was Abraham and being justified by faith. Um, we realize that in Ephesians chapter 2, it's by grace alone. It's not by works. And Paul re-emphasizes that here in Romans chapter 4 because he goes back to Abraham. This was before the law. Abraham was 430 years before the law. Now, something that's 430 years, how is Abraham saved if people are thinking that keeping the law is going to save you? Keeping the law is not going to save you. It's faith in the accomplished works of what Jesus has done that's going to save you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he goes back and he lists out uh, what's going on at this time. And Abraham, uh, hope against hope. Now, we read last week too, Hebrews chapter 11, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And so Abraham believed hope against hope that he would be the father of many nations. And he didn't put this hope, this faith in himself because he was old and his wife Sarah was old. But he put his faith in the one who was able to do all things who was able to create out of nothing something. And so Abraham knew that, and his faith was given to him as righteousness. And that ultimately is the goal of what we make. When we talk about sin, we talk about the, the word hamarsha, it's called missing the mark. Sin isn't just what we do that's wrong, it's what we don't do. And it's what we don't do that's the bigger problem, is that we were made to glorify God, and yet we don't glorify God. So we are missing the mark, and we do not reach His level of righteousness. We are way below that. So there is no way that, that sin and holiness can be together in the same arena, if you will. Um, just because God is holy, He's set apart, He's, he's unique, and, and sin can't be anywhere near him. And so, going back to chapter 4, it's talking about Abraham, talking about justification from faith. Because when we look, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, and we need to talk about what justification means again, a uh, very important word, it means to be declared righteous. It's not as if all of a sudden you become righteous yourself. 
Because that's impossible in the flesh when we're dealing in the flesh. Once we pass on and are moved into the Spirit, that's when you know, it's Christ's righteousness that's attributed to us. And so we talked briefly about kind of the judicial part of this. And today we're going to talk more about the judicial again, as well as the relational aspects of what happens in this relationship and God's saving work in the Gospel. And so um, justification being declared righteous. It's, we, we as Christians are saved, but we're saved sinners still. Okay, So we need Christ's righteousness in order to have this relationship with God in the first place. So there are many blessings that come out of this justification by faith. And so this first section here and, and the first point is that we have peace and hope with God because He's the one who extended the olive branch first. It's not that we went after God. It's that God came after us and pursued us. So look at the, the first verse here. This there, for we've been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so peace with, not the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, but peace with God. An end of hostilities. Um, you know, there is a hostility towards sin. There is a punishment that is required for these sins. God would not be just if there wasn't a, a right punishment at the same time for this sin because it's our willful disobedience and our unrighteousness that there needs to be uh, made amends for. So it's hard to have peace with someone when um, you're hostile towards him. It's not that God is hostile towards you as you will continue to see this, and rather it's irrelevant, but there's a huge disconnect there. And as we learned last week, being spiritually dead, and as we learned from the first week, being broken, spiritually broken, um, all these things need to be reconciled to, to God if we're to ever be in his presence, as well as to um, enjoy the goodness of his grace and his mercy in our lives. And so one of the blessings is the peace with God. The second thing, second verse, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So, gained access to the grace in which we stand. Everything in our lives, uh, in essence, runs off the grace of God once we are Christians. And as you see when we are not Christians, that there, there is a lot more turmoil and whatnot. And even when we are Christians, we're still going to have turmoil as we're still going to see here. And it's all a good process, but, but grace. Grace means unmerited favor. Um, there's the grace in our salvation for the unmerited favor because there's nothing we can do to earn it. Uh, there's the grace for today. We're not promised tomorrow, so the fact that we're here today, this is, this is grace, unmerited favor. Um, also, grace um, for tomorrow, God's grace in our walk with Him, God's grace for the future. Um, it's a constant outpouring of being in God's favor because He sees His Son in you when you're justified and declared righteous. All right, third point. Or the third part of this, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, which also follows along right with uh, rejoice in the grace in which we stand. 
and also a part of the grace in which we stand. Standing is identity. As we went back uh, for our first week too, as we receive the gift and we stand, like our identity is in this grace. We are no longer um, getting our identity from the world, from the work that we do, from our family, from our relationships, from monetary possessions, from anything like that. We get our identity as sons and daughters of the Lord Most High. And that's a huge, gigantic blessing because no one can take that away from you. you you can insult yourself for sure by behaving poorly, but at the same time, as new creations in Christ, we are ambassadors for Christ. And the joy in the Lord, most definitely, is just simply being a part of his kingdom and also then to find our identity as sons and daughters of the living God. So amazing. And so we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This is something else that we do too as, as uh, newfound Christians. Because as we talked about many times, and we will always continue to talk about, this world is really a mess. Now, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of beauty. For what can be known about God is plain to see in the things that have been made. But there's also a lot of unfortunate brokenness, disease and death and illness and corruption. And like I said, it's in every human being. It's in every institution, it's in every system, it is just everywhere. And last week as we talked about the prince of the power of the air, where is air? Air is everywhere. So the, the problem that we have is this. And so we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So we put our faith in what Christ has done, but we also look towards a better way that there is a better way, that God did have an original design and a very good design. You know, you go back to creation, he completed the days and it was very good. And so we eagerly await hope for a new earth and a new heaven, or, or yeah, a new earth, um, new Jerusalem, all these things. But we also look forward to the day when we are with God and we are in his midst. You go to Revelation 21. I'm so looking forward to today when there's no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, and God will be in our midst and things like that. Um, you may have seen this. I'm kind of a broken man. Like, I have diabetes. So every time I, I eat or anything like that, it's kind of a chore. Like, and food was never meant to be a chore or anything like that. And then there's the whole list of other things that, that go on and that people suffer from, the brokenness. And so future hope and glory in God. Not just for the material things, because as Paul says uh, a couple chapters later in Romans 8, who hopes for what they see, but we hope for what we don't see. And so uh, Paul also says, I consider the sufferings of this present time to pale in comparison to the glory that's to be revealed to us. And so as Christians, we're constantly looking forward. We're still here. We're still living. Don't get me wrong. And there's still grace for today, as well as grace for tomorrow, as well as grace for the future, and pretty much walking grace just exactly as the, the, the song we, we listened to a minute ago. I'm forgetting it, but either way, how it works out. I love how that works out. Um, so constantly looking towards future hope and glory in Christ. It's very, very, very comforting once you realize who God is and then where we're going as Christians and, and so on and so forth. And then lastly, uh, for this first part, um, being justified and having extended the olive branch, uh, look at verse 3. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Say, what? <laughs> who does that? Uh, can I see a show of hands? Who rejoices in suffering? That's what I thought. Okay, no hands. This is good. <laughs> 
No funny people either. That's kind of scary. Like, it's okay. We can have fun here. This is church. We're worshiping the living God. It's fun. So we, do, we don't rejoice about the sufferings. We rejoice in the work that God is doing. And these sufferings also continue to point us to that future hope and glory that's in God at the same time. Um, Let's call it this. Let's call it sanctification because that's really what it is. And that's being changed, being made holy uh, into Christ's likeness. Now, it doesn't get completed until actually we, we die, physically die, and then uh, raised with Jesus in the Spirit. That's when we're fully sanctified and, and fully Christ-like. But in the meantime, we go through all of these experiences, and you see what they do. They produce character. They produce perseverance and endurance. Uh, they give you hope for a better way. Uh, they continue to draw you back on not your own strength, but the strength of God to get through all of these things. And so um, another way that Paul puts it, because this is kind of a, a mirror, Romans chapter 5 and Romans chapter 8, um, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Right? I mean, look at it this way. He did lavishly pour out his love in the giving of his son, right? And then he also poured out his love in the giving of the Holy Spirit, right? So we can have peace and hope because God has extended first and foremost that olive branch to us and has given us all these different blessings and this hope and finally this peace with him as we start to reconcile ourselves. And so moving on to the second point, verses 6 through 8. These are interesting. I really like these ones. Um, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. First off, take verse 6 and verse 8 and look at them together. For, and, and the first section. For while we were still weak. And then in verse 8, while we were still sinners. And then again, back to verse 6. Um, the ungodly, one, one, Christ died for the ungodly. And then in verse 8, Christ died for us. Do you see the parallels there? The ungodly and us. And then uh, while we were weak, while we were sinners. Uh, I want to hammer the point again that there is nothing that we alone on ourselves can do because it's God's grace alone that, that saves us in this. It's not by works of the law that we can make ourselves righteous. It's not by morality that we can make ourselves righteous. It is by God's grace alone in which we stand, in which we find our identity as a good and loving Savior, that we are his sons and daughters, and that we can find peace, and that we can find rest in this. But look at that, how, how, how the parallel's there. And then Paul gives an illustration right in the middle. So understanding that we're weak, we're sinners, ungodly, and us being unrighteous. But look at the illustration that he does in verse 7. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. 
So know that this is two sides of essentially the same coin. We're talking about a righteous person and we're talking about a good person. Remember that there's what we're talking about in regards to salvation, that there's a judicial aspect of God saving us by His grace, but there's also a very much a relational aspect, and that's what we see here in verse 7. You see a righteous person, right? So this is a person that you would probably respect. Someone who has, who, from what you can understand, has, has done their duties well, done their job well. Um, you know, you maybe think of someone in a higher up position of authority. You respect them because they had worked and done a good thing to get to that point, right? So righteous, respect. And then you see good person. And so a good person, how do we define good? Like, we have God's example of defining good, right? But for us as human people, like, what, like if I was to ask every of you what, what's good, each one of you would come up with a different answer, right, of what's good. So, but the moral of this part is what's good is someone that you might love, someone that you might appreciate, someone that you might um, just really, really, really care about. So you might die for someone that you love. Like, I know many parents who would, would rather die than their children, right? Like, this is, this is that type of good. It's that type of love. But look at this. But look at what God's done in this. And, and this is what doesn't make any sense. This is where God's love uh, does get crazy and all the other things that go along with it because God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we still hated God, Christ died for us. While we were still rebellious against God, while we were still blaspheming against God, while we were still idolizing, while we were still lying, while we were still cheating, while we were adultering, while we were stealing, while we were coveting, Christ died for us. That's astounding. That makes no sense. And no human can comprehend that. I want to tell you a, a brief little story about a, a friend of mine. And, and I hope and I pray that the analogy works well. Um, he was a good friend of mine. This is about a 20-year-old story, but it, it's, it's very, very relational to exactly what's going on here. And, and maybe we can see it better in human terms. So uh, my friend shall remain nameless. And about 20 years ago, that makes us very early in our 20s, right? And so we like to party. I didn't know Jesus till I was 34. So if you want to come after me, please feel free. Um, I am a sinner, but I am a saved sinner. <laughs> and so it's God's grace that I walk in now. And so my friend uh, is a pretty popular guy. He got to go to a, a wedding. He was invited. He had some friends, things like that. They had a great time uh, at the wedding, so on and so forth. Um, yeah, great time at the wedding. So leaving the wedding, he had such a great time, he had way too much alcohol at the wedding, okay? And he didn't drive alone. He drove with one of his friends, and then the sister of the bride got a ride with him too. And so as he was leaving that party, he came up to what he thought was a four-way stop. Turned out it was only a two-way stop. And so as he was going through the intersection, the car going 60 miles an hour, crashed into him. In that moment, he survived, his friend survived, but the same night that the father's one daughter was getting married, that father lost his other daughter. She died that night. And so my friend, 
naturally very much beside himself, like very hard to deal with. He has to go through the judicial process, right? Like you've committed a crime. You have to go through the judicial process. So he served jail time. He went through a lot of court. He paid a lot of money. Um, he went uh, and had uh, probation afterwards too. He also went and talked to crowds about the dangers of drinking and, and tried to make amends that way. But at the same time, that family, that their daughter got married and the other daughter died that same night, how do you fix that with him? How, how do you reconcile that? In, in that moment, being my friend, then, and then that father. Like, how do you reconcile that with that father? It's impossible. You can't give him his daughter back. You can't, um, you know, go back in time. You can apologize profusely, but will that father give my friend forgiveness? The answer was no. He won't. In fact, he wanted more judicial action done against him as repercussion because that was his sense of justice, right? More punishment. That's what you get. You're, you're a fool. You drank too much. You took my daughter. I'm never going to forgive you. I think many of us could say that, right? That we would not forgive someone who did that and, and such a, a foolish way too, right? Like, you know, one poor decision has changed directions of five lives, probably more, in, in that one moment, in that one instance. And so, I want to turn it now to you, just this way. So, there wasn't that forgiveness, but there was judicial, like, you know, repercussion that was done. Now, God is the Father, right? You, we, us, have murdered His Son. Make no mistake about that, that Christ came to save sinners, to reconcile us back to God. And this is that crazy kind of love that we're talking about, because amidst us killing His Son and the necessity of it, God has forgiven us. I'm shocked. I don't believe it. No human can do this because we're so bent to our own way. But we have such a God that is filled with grace, unmerited favor, mercy, not receiving the punishment we deserve, and just flat out love that is incomprehensible as well as the forgiveness that's incomprehensible that despite us taking His Son He's forgiven us, and He's reconciled us back to Him. And so consider that, and, and hopefully that story lands a little bit and makes sense, because it's a big deal. It's a gigantic deal. There are many of us that are like, I am not worthy. And I'm going to agree with you, we're not worthy. There is not one human being on this planet that uh, of their own merit, of their own quote-unquote righteousness, is worthy to stand in the presence of God. Not one. Not one. Yet, it is because of God's great love, His grace, His mercy, that shows us, like, why would He forgive us? 
What, what, what does God owe us in the first place? And yet He loves us so much and wants to have this relationship with us so much that He's willing to forget everything that, that we've done in the past as well as to work towards a better future together. It's astounding. Don't ever miss that point of when you're talking about God's love, it is incomprehensible. It is, quite frankly, amazing. And it's the, where the amazing grace comes from. Um, you know, in, in the songs and, and in our lives and, and things of that nature. And so praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So, last point, very similar to the first point, verses 9 to 11. So, um, oops, there it is. Since, therefore, we have been justified by His blood, we have been declared righteous through the death of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, much more shall we be saved from Him from the wrath of God. Remember the punishment that we deserve. It, it is right and it is just. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. And more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And so... Same thing. We can have hope that God forgives us and reconciles our relationship and the blessed assurance of salvation because God acted first upon it. Right? So, salvation. Saved from the wrath of God. Much more will we be saved. Um, look at verses 9 and 10. They, they also are parallels in Paul's uh, doctrinal teaching here, uh, describing justification, the legal action, and then reconciliation, the relationship, the, the um, relational act that God has done to bring us into the right and the real relationship that we were made for. We were made to glorify God and enjoy Him. And yet, because of sin and because of the brokenness, we don't know God to begin with because we're born spiritually dead much let alone want to have a relationship with a God that we have no idea who He is or what He's about. It's all hearsay unless you truthfully study in the Word and understand and understand the character of our God and, and our Lord and Savior and all the amazing things that He's done in our lives. Like It's just it's breathtaking. It's breathtaking. And He calls people to new life. And that is a, just a fantastic thing. And so, looking at this last point, we rejoice in God through Jesus Christ because of the reconciliation. And we're restored to our right and real relationship with our Creator. Praise the Lord. And so, one final closing thing here. Justification, being declared righteous by the blood of Christ, by the atoning work of His sins and what He's done. And then reconciliation to bring us back to a right and real relationship that we may stand in the grace of God and know who He is, who we are in light of who God is, what our purpose is, where we're going, where our peace comes from, where our hope comes from, and ultimately where our salvation comes from. Because we can't stop the evil that's in our hearts. We can't stop the human suffering. And we can't stop death. But I know a Lord and Savior who has thrown all of those aside and has justified us and reconciled us to Him. So in conclusion, there is much to praise the Lord about in forgiving and reconciling us back to Himself. 
Look at these. We have peace with God. There are no more hostilities between one another. We have grace. We have God's unmerited favor for every day of our lives. We have future hope and glory someday with God. We have the way to look towards heaven as well as the relationship. And, and it's just something great to be looking forward to. And we have hope that regardless of what happens to us, our Heavenly Father does indeed love us as He gave Himself for us. And we also rejoice because we are saved from the well-deserved wrath of God, which is just because we have, like sheep, have all gone astray, each to his own way. And the Lord has laid the iniquities of Him on us all. And so, we have cause to rejoice in Jesus for our reconciliation, but above all in this moment and what you need to see, we have the blessed assurance that our salvation is secure because God has acted. It's not something that will ever be taken away from you. Sure, you may go wayward. You may become a prodigal son and come back to the Lord. But that's a sanctifying moment too as you discover who you are in light of who God is. And so, blessed assurance, rest, grace, peace, mercy, all these things plus so much more comes through the Gospel and what Jesus has done for us in our lives. And for this, this is why we are His church and this is why we praise the Lord and this is why we love Him and this is why we say Amen. So, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank You. I thank You profusely for Your grace, Your mercy, Your peace, Your love, uh, the unsearchable riches of Your wisdom and knowledge and just everything about You, Lord. It is astounding and breathtaking that You would have anything to do with us whatsoever, but it is by Your grace alone that we find ourselves to be a part of Your kingdom, to be restored and reconciled to a right and real relationship with You, to be justified and not receive the wrath that we so rightly deserve as we've caused so many atrocity in our lives. But Lord, I just thank You for everything that You're doing in the city of Genoa, everything You're doing in this local church body, everything You're doing in our individual lives and what You're doing in the world, Lord. You are the way, You are the truth, and You are the life, and we love You and praise You. All this I pray in my Lord and Savior Jesus' name. Amen.